Thanks to Health IQ for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com fool to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz and potentially save up to 41% on premiums. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, January 20th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And while the markets are closed today in observance of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, we do have an interview for you that we think you'll enjoy. Huntley Garriott is the president of Live Oak Bank. Prior to joining Live Oak, he was a partner at Goldman Sachs in the investment banking division and served as co-head of the banks and specialty finance team within the Financial Institutions Group. I recently had the chance to speak with Huntley about Live Oak's robust specialty lending business, how he sees the banking environment taking shape for 2020 and beyond, and a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Okay, Huntley, first I want to dive into a little bit of what differentiates Live Oak from, uh, I guess, what most listeners would consider traditional banks. Uh, when we talk about Live Oak, I mean, I think it's it's really important to talk about the technology behind uh, what you all are doing there and, and how it, it, differ, it differentiates you from the competition. You don't, you don't if, I'm, if I'm correct here, you don't have any uh, physical banking centers at all, right? This is essentially a, a bank of the internet, right? Correct. We are a we are a nationwide small business lender um, and online deposit gatherer with uh, with no branches. So I, I did notice in doing a little research here that you all there at Live Oak, uh, you mentioned SBA lending, and, and obviously that is a a tremendous market given the exposure to small business uh, in this country. But but you all have a big focus on veterinary practices, which I found fascinating for a number of reasons, uh, one of which just being that I have three dogs at home myself. So, I'm a big fan of pets and animals. I go to the vet all the time. What What is Why the focus on veterinary practices, though? Tell our listeners a little bit about why that's such an important part of your business. Sure. It's actually the first uh, lending that Live Oak uh, did when they started the company over a decade ago. And the, the notion was, if we're going to be a nationwide small business lender, we needed to do two things really well. We needed to know our customer really well, and we need to be really efficient and use technology. So knowing our customer well for us meant uh, deep industry domain knowledge. And if you look, the SBA has a lot of data. Uh, the, that data suggests that veterinarians are really likely to um, pay you back. Their default yeah. rates are really low, so that's a good thing. Yep. Um, founders had a little bit of history in that, in that space um, as well, and so went out and got um, – a couple experts, one on our board, who is a dean of one of the veterinarian schools um, in the nation, and uh, we have a couple veterinarians on our staff, and started making loans. And when you understand that business really well, and you understand how to help those customers, then it's, it's just a different relationship than just making a loan. And so now uh, it continues to be one of the largest um, industries that we're in, and we've been in it for, for over a decade. So, going beyond veterinary practices, and I think this is really neat because when when I when I look at your business, and, and I mean, I, I, we could say 
you're a niche lender to a degree, right? You you lend into some specialty areas where others may not necessarily focus. It reminds me a lot of, a, of another company that we cover here uh, at the Motley Fool, a, a favorite of a lot of ours. It's an insurance company called Markel Insurance, and it's a specialty insurer. They insure a lot of things that other people just don't insure. And it sounds like you're lending uh, to a lot of a lot of different types of, of of business that maybe not others necessarily feel as comfortable uh, lending to, or, or at least they don't possess the same knowledge as you do beyond veterinary. Practices. What are some of the other markets that you guys uh, are, are dipping a toe in? Yeah, no, it, that's exactly right. It's it's sort of the combination of whether it's an industry that requires some really specific uh, industry knowledge or that others aren't as comfortable in, and we found uh, those sort of niches in those areas to uh, to go after. We have uh, you know thirty of those uh, of those areas now, and they range from everything from you know, the veterinarians and the dentists to funeral homes to chicken farms, uh, different professional services businesses. And then we've got uh, renewable energy lending that we do in pretty specific areas. So it's a pretty broad list now uh, across across these different areas, um, but really focusing across small businesses by and large, um, you know, across the nation. I think I saw craft brewers in there too. Am I right? We do. Is that a big exposure? The um, the chief economist of the Brewers Association is actually in Wilmington giving us a talk around the the uh, trends in the craft brewing industry. So uh, yeah, we like that space. Oh, that's 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 really cool. Yeah, I'm sure you get a lot of our listeners' attention here just <laughs> by uttering the two words <laughs> craft and brew. <laughs> yeah. um, you, you know, you mentioned renewable energy, and I, I'd like to pivot for a second talk about a little bit of a bigger picture, not necessarily as live oak related. But uh, it is something that is, I think, at the forefront of a lot of people's minds now. And just the other day, we saw Larry Fink uh, come out with his letter to CEOs talking about sustainable strategies and how that is such an important part of his investing philosophy going forward, talking about companies developing sustainable strategies and investing with that in mind going forward. Um, I I wonder if you've had a chance to talk about that type of, of thing uh, w- with leadership there at the bank, or if you have any thoughts regarding that in general? Yeah, look, I, I read you know Larry's letter, and he's obviously one of the great you know business leaders of our era. But it's still, I think, pretty courageous for him to make a statement like that. You know, when he manages seven trillion dollars of of AUM, um, you know, and for us, so we really like. Um, the notion of, of sort of, you know, giving back and, and, and kind of mission driven. Um, the renewable energy space, the USDA space has been one where we gravitated toward, you know, two years ago. Um, you know, we were the nation's uh, top ranked USDA lender last year. Um, and that's largely in, in renewable energy. That's solar projects, that's, um, you know, water treatment, that's bioenergy, waste energy, all sorts of things around that. And we'll do a couple hundred million dollars of, of lending a year across those programs, which, you know, we, we think they're good loans. And, and um, so we like that. But it also, we think, you know, goes to help, um, you know, some of the initiatives nationwide as it relates to, you know, building out sustainability. Yeah. And he, he said something in that letter, too, that really struck me. I, th- I think it was towards the end. But he said, and I quote, over time, companies and countries that do not respond to stakeholders and address sustainability risks will encounter growing skepticism from the markets and in turn, a higher cost of capital. Do you think that's accurate? You know, I, I do think that's right. Um, you know, in, in, a, in a free market economy, you have to kind of wonder how many 
people, um, you know, fully bake in those externalities and fully price them in and how that market develops and the efficiency of that. So I think we could talk a lot about that theoretically, but you certainly think that, you know, in the extremes, there will be repercussions and sort of an appreciation for the cost, um, you know, of, of, of doing business in, in a non-sustainable way. Um, you know, look, if you, our campus here uh, in Wilmington is, is really energy efficient. You know, we've got panels on our roof. Um, we try to get rid of as much paper as we can. So we do a lot, um, you know, in that regard as well, just here, you know, on a more local basis. So tell me if this is you. You get an average of eight hours of sleep per night. You eat a quality plant-based diet. You exercise four or more times per week. Basically, you're doing everything right to ensure you live a long life. So isn't it time you be financially rewarded for your commitment to a healthy lifestyle? Well, Health IQ sure thinks it's time. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you on their life insurance offerings. In fact, Health IQ can save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risks for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. But these savings are exclusive to Health IQ, so you won't find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get a special rate. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com fool to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending on your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. That's healthiq.com fool. Let's take a uh, bit of a turn here. Talk about your previous job a little bit because you had considerable experience with your time at Goldman Sachs covering smaller banks. Um, I, I wonder, was there any insight from that job that ultimately led you to Live Oak? Or, I mean, was that, what, you know, what was that job like? I mean, for all of our listeners here who love following this industry, uh, what was it about covering those smaller banks that, uh, that, that had you looking forward to going to work every day? Sure. So I, like I spent 20 years at Goldman and the business that I was involved in, you know, we covered, you know, kind of the top 150 banks with the exception of the very largest. So that's everything from, you know, a couple hundred billion dollars of assets to maybe, you know, three to five billion dollars of assets. And when I got to know Live Oak, I, I joked that it was my smallest client. It was before the IPO <laughs> um, and got to know the founders and Chip and Neil. And, and I'll tell you, there were three things that really kind of captivated me. One was this intersection of banking and technology. And I had spent a lot of my career, not only with banks, but also with some of the fintech and, and, and specialty lenders, you know, and, and kind of know enough to know that the answer can't just be a bank that is relying on their physical distribution network and FDIC insurance and not attuned to what's going on in the changing technology. But it also wasn't a fintech firm that didn't really respect regulation and banking and the like, and that you know, Live Oak really embraced both, right, and had kind of a foot in both, uh, in both worlds. And, and I really do believe that's the right answer um, in the industry. The second is the business model, um, you know, and, and I think that, it, that increasingly very, very large banks have scale advantages when very, very focused banks have, uh, have an opportunity to excel. Um, but, but I think both of those two camps are really important. And Live Oak has been from the start, you know, just laser focused on small businesses and I think that creates a competitive advantage in terms of, you know, that industry knowledge, that efficiency, but it also, you know, it's a really important part of the economy. And so to some extent, I just kind of found myself enamored with, um, you know, the ability to help small businesses. And we made over a thousand small business loans 
this past year. Um, and, and I think that just feels really good. Um, and then the third, and I think the most important, um, is, is the culture and, and the focus on our people and our employees. And, you know, I think the, the traditional three-legged stool that you've got your customers, your employees, and your shareholders, banks often have a fourth leg, which is the regulators. And you kind of try to focus on all of those. But if you focus on your employees in banking and you, and you really find great people and you empower them to do great things, um, they take care of customers and that takes care of shareholders. Or that, you know, that's the theory. And, and, and I really, really like that concept. And, and the three of those things together um, was, was just too enticing. And so uh, we moved from New York uh, about a year and a half ago to come down and join Live Oak. Well, you did mention um, the, the scale advantages that a lot of the bigger banks in, in, in the industry possess. And that's, that's a difficult thing to compete against, particularly, I mean, in this, in this day and age where interest rates don't seem to really be going anywhere. I mean, a lot of, a lot of banks are, are kind of treading water, just trying to buy their time until profitability becomes a little bit easier. But what, do you, what, what are some of the opportunities and what are some of the challenges you see as a smaller but clearly growing bank in today's economy? Yeah, look, I mean, we compete uh, against all the banks right around the country. And, you know, specifically to kind of end up being the nation's top SBA lender, you compete against the Wells Fargo's and Chase and, you know, and B of A's. And, you know, we've got less than $5 billion of assets and they have $2 trillion. So, um, you know, they can do pricing campaigns and, and run things that, you know, that to us may not make economic sense, but they may be by market share or doing other things. And it, um, you know, so we find some pockets where things can get super, super competitive, um, you know, and back to the notion that we'll kind of find our niches um, and, 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 you know, still create areas that we, can, that we can do business. But I do think that the opportunity in that just like laser focus in small business, because, you know, some folks think of that as kind of the upper end of the consumer market. Some folks think of that as the lower end of the commercial market. But it really is pretty unique, right? And these customers have pretty unique needs. The financing products are unique, the way that you actually underwrite them, and all those things, if we just stay laser-focused and then we create great technology to support that, you know, and that, that service and technology that comes together, um, you know, to us is our competitive advantage um, and allows us to, you know, to get to our customers and to, and to treat them well. And, and we think that that just will, will be, you know, that, that that's got sort of duration to it, um, even as we compete every day against, you know, against the giant banks. So, given the role that technology is playing today in virtually everything we do, certainly finance is being disrupted by technology. And now we have companies like Square and PayPal uh, getting into this into this market and and opening up their own lending channels. Right? I mean, you have companies like yep. Square; they open up a Square Capital. Um, I mean, is that how do you view competition with companies like that? I mean, are they taking away some of what traditionally would be SBA traffic, or do you view that as as more part of this rising tide that is that is lifting the boats in your industry. Yeah, look, it's really interesting, and, and we compete against banks, and we equally compete against you know large technology companies. You know, in, in a you know increasingly kind of blurred landscape. Um, you know, the the folks right now that are doing whether it's Square or some of the other um, you know fintech companies that are lending are doing more shorter term, smaller balance loans. That stuff has largely been financed on, you know, small business owners' credit cards and, right. and things like that. So it isn't the large dollar SBA term loan, uh, the business acquisition, the real estate finance. Those things are really hard to automate, and we spend a lot of time, you know, in, in underwriting those. 
um, you know, data aggregation and that stuff. So not to say that they're not a competitive threat right now. We're not, you know, there's not much overlap in terms of, of, of who they're lending to, um, you know, or the type of product, but, you know, it all sort of converges over time and, and we need to continue to get better at, you know, making quick underwriting decisions, um, you know, and, and having a broader suite of products, uh, largely our technology build now is designed to create, you know, more deposit products, payment products, small balance, um, you know, revolving products, things like that. So we can go from being that SBA small business lender to being a more full service small business bank for, for all the products that they need. Okay, before we let you go, I want to step back in time a little bit. Talk about something that we still talk about here very often at the Motley Fool, and it's something a lot of us um, live through and remember still very well. Uh, going back to the Great Recession, and given your experience in the industry, uh, given that you you certainly went through that period of time uh, and and had a little bit of an inside baseball point of view, I think it would be safe to say. What do you remember? About the financial crisis, about the Great Recession, what do you remember about that prevailing sentiment in the industry, and what lessons um, were you able to take away from that that, that served you uh, in in this business going forward? Yeah, I, I still remember we had a um, <laughs> an event for a number of CFOs, a global CFOs at, at Goldman, and the CFO of Goldman Sachs, David Veneer, uh, spoke, and uh, they asked him that exact question, and he said, "It's very simple." Don't run out of money. <laughs> and, and you look at that, and, and it sounds, sounds kind of trite, but it's actually quite profound, right? Liquidity is paramount, it's right? It's that banking. simple. It feels like it's that simple once you say it. It actually <laughs> is, but, but, but liquidity is driven by credit quality, by capital adequacy, by regulatory um, you know, standing. And you have to be mindful of all of those things, right? And occasionally, an extreme example, that's even a function of, consumer, of customer or, or sort of sentiment. But but you've got to be mindful of all those risks and all those things because any one of those in the extreme can lead to liquidity um, issues, and that's really um, you know the downfall in, in in banks. And so you know I just think that all of us that that lived through that and worked in situations that were you know really difficult and really uncertain just have that risk dial in the back of their mind that they're thinking about you know all the time, right? And I just don't think you can ever lose that. Um, that perspective, um, you know, even after you know a decade or more. He's the president of Live Oak Bank, Mr. Huntley Garrett. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us this week. Thanks, Jason. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan behind the glass for making the magic happen this week. I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.